0: Good morning. Um, My name is Troy Nicholson. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Safe Haven. And um, I want to give you a recap. We're going through the book of Habakkuk. And we kicked it off last week. It's going to be a fantastic journey of looking at um, when you just want to look at God and go, God, I don't, I don't, you just don't make sense. God, you, you do not make sense. And and so we kicked it off last week by looking at um, Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4. And these are the things that we saw. We saw Habakkuk screaming just kind of those questions. God, how long are you going to wait? Um, your your timetable doesn't make sense. How long are you going to ignore your people? Your, your silence doesn't make sense. How long are you going to tolerate injustice? Your injustice doesn't make sense. How long are you going to be hypocritical, God? You endorse evil. Like you promote evil people. And that just does not make sense. And so when we begin to question God in moments that He doesn't make sense, ultimately what we're doing is we're taking His character in light of chaos around us and examine those two, and you can't reconcile those two. God, how are you? Incredibly holy, but yet there's just unholiness going on and just chaos all around me, and how do you reconcile that? And so, if you did not catch that last week, I am begging you, begging you to go to the website and check that out. Because none of this will make sense unless you grasp all that was going on in the text last week. So we looked at this. God, you don't make sense. Have you ever been there? you ever been there where you're like, God, what on earth? It just it seems all too real to us, doesn't it? 4,000 years ago, and it still speaks to us today. And so we ended last week by asking the question, is that okay? Is it okay to ask God or to be gritty with Him? Just to be raw. Is it okay to be raw with God like that? That was the the big question. And so we took the time last week to break away from verses 1 through 4. And I just gave you, again, I emphasize again, not five exegetical points. Just five reasonable thoughts on why I do think it's okay to be gritty and raw with God. And so we looked at that. That's what all last week was about. And so that sets us up for this week. This week's text is actually the same exact text. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4. We're not going to make it any further this week. We're going to spend a little more time and examine this. I want you to remember something before we go into the text, maybe a little more exegetical today. Just remember, it's very important to realize about what I'm going to say today of the type prophet that Habakkuk was. All the other prophets in Scripture got a message from God, relayed that message down to the people. Habakkuk is different how. He took what the people were saying and sent it up to God. And so there's going to be some warped perspective even in just that. You've got to remember that or Habakkuk's not going to make any sense whatsoever. So we're going to kind of look at that. The question really today is just going to be this. Could it be possible... That in our incredible sanity, because we're all sane people, right? Could it be possible that I, in our incredible sanity, we might just lose perspective sometimes? Is that even possible? I mean, we're, we're, we're perfectly sane, but is there a chance maybe we could get it warped sometimes? Well, maybe to illustrate that or to, to set this up, we're going to have a little fun in church today. All right. I mean, half the church is out anyway because they watch Wilder get his brains beat in by fury and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to have a little fun in here, right? Now, let me preface what we're about to do. If you can't have fun in church, um, then you can't have fun anywhere. We're going to have a little bit of fun. I want to say this. I'm going to place some items on the screen uh, that will play a little bit with your mind. Now, I'm going to say that for two reasons. One, because I want you to know we're not turning into a New Age cult So when I throw some things up there and you're like, oh, that looks really weird, it's just for illustrative purposes. But nonetheless, I want to give you a qualification because these things are indeed wild, all right, that we're going to look at real fast. Number one, if you think that these blue lines are slanted, raise your hand. Okay, keep them high, keep them high, keep them really high, all right? If you think these blue lines are slanted, keep them high, all right? No, keep them up. Keep them up. I know it's awkward. We're gonna have a little fun. Um, drop your hands when you begin to believe that they're actually parallel. Oh boy, <laughs> All right, we got everybody's hands down. These blue lines are indeed parallel, right? So you're looking at it at first and you're going, no, no, Troy, those are clearly slanted lines. I didn't change anything. All I did was put some parallel lines up there on top and below, and we saw that indeed what actually is real is their parallel lines. Anybody ready to go take a smoke break? (laughs) Right? Get on out. All right. Let's do another one just for fun, all right? These lines that I'm about to pop up here right now. If I was to tell you that these lines are actually not shrinking and growing like this and are staying still, would you believe me? Hone in on just one line and what you'll see is the lines are not actually growing like this. These lines are doing this. And that's the only thing changing. But your perspective was a little off, right? Oh, now we're getting good. Let's go to one that's really trippy. All right. Vincent van Gogh. All right, everybody knows this painting. It's the Starry Night, especially if you're an artist. Uh, this painting right here is worth over $100 million. All right? I would love to uh, sell it for $10,000, but nonetheless, it's a it's, it's $100 million painting. Now, what I'm going to do is, is I want you to look at this. Now, I'm going to throw something on the screen. It's going to be moving. Um, and I want you to look at the center dot. Now, this is where you got a little bit uncomfortable and was like, I'm definitely out of here. It's going to look like one of the little hypnosis screens and all that kind of stuff. Look at the center dot, and then after you look at the center dot, I'm going to put this exact same picture up. As a matter of fact, Tucker, back in the booth, is it the same picture? All right, the same exact picture is going up, all right? So now, for 20 seconds, just stare at the dot right there in the middle. As you're getting prepared, are you ready? Same picture. What's going on? <laughs> All right. Now look down, look up, look at somebody else you have the ability to take that same picture. You can stop that picture from moving with your mind. You can take the warped perception and you can bring that back to the static reality. I have not changed the picture. Shake it out. Get it gone. Is anybody back to normal yet? We got some people back to normal? Okay, so, for the rest of you, how many of y'all can't get it out of your mind? Like, you're still moving? You, okay, everybody's got it back to normal because I can take it off the screen. Um, Here's the deal. What people who study this kind of thing say is this. Our brains are wired to have a perception of reality. And what you've just experienced is the after-effect of motion. In the after-effect of motion, your brain is looking at something that you know to be true and know to be real. And I know some people are about to pass out, so let's go and get that off there. You see something that you know to be true, and then you look at something else that is warped and moving and in motion and in chaos. You start seeing where this fits in. You see chaos, and your brain begins to fill in the blanks of all the motion. So when you go back to what's really real, your brain actually keeps going through the chaos. It keeps in filling in the perceptions that are not truly reality. Could it be that in the midst of chaos, God's not the issue, but we're actually filling in a perception of reality that's not really real. That's where Habakkuk is going to take us today. We're left feeling a sense of or perception of false reality in the midst of chaos sometimes. And that's what's going on with Habakkuk. Remember what I just said. This book will not make sense... If you think of him as a prophet, as one who received the message from God, gave it to the people, it'll only make sense if you understand he was a prophet who saw a warped perspective and tried to relay that back to God. And that's what Habakkuk is going to come into question. So in the midst of chaos, in the midst of warped reality, we'll start saying some things that just aren't true sometimes, won't we? In the midst of your chaos that you're experiencing, whether it's work or whether it's family or whether it's just the world in general, you'll start saying some things that are not true. Like this right here. She never listens to me. Never, ever listens to me. Or maybe this right here. I always give you what you want. Always. I see some nudging going on already. All right? We ain't not even gotten to the good stuff yet. He never loved me. He never loved me in the first place. Or this right here. You always have the last word. Or this, you always have to have the last word. Right? And then maybe my favorite, the children scream all the time. Can I get an amen up in here? (laughs) Johnny said that's not warped reality, that's just true. Right? So here's the thing. Why do we do this? We attempt to use hyperbole in an attempt to validate our position in the midst of chaos. There's chaos going around, so we start using words like never and always and all the time to validate us. Because if we posture ourselves as always, then you can't rebut my always because I just deemed it as always. And so we try to do this to validate our position. Number two, we use hyperbole if we're honest because in our black and white world, we don't like sovereignty. We don't want to face the fact that there may be chaos going on, and God allows that chaos because He sovereignly knows something that we don't know. We don't like that, do we? Because we want to be in control. This is what the issue is because thus saith the Troy, when God may have something else going on. We don't like that. And then this or here. We use hyperbole to fuel our love for self-pity. I can say never, or always, then I'm trying to force out of you to come to my side and and to pity me a little bit in the midst of my chaos. And so this gets back to Habakkuk. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4. Now if you think about it in those terms, you'll see these things oozing out of this passage. You'll see Habakkuk's warped understanding of reality oozing out. Let's look at it again. How long will you wait, in other words... God, your timetable usually doesn't make sense and you usually don't care. Or he wouldn't ask the question about God's timetable. So he's implying something here. Or this How long will you ignore your people? You're you're silent. You never answer the people that really love you, God. Or this right here How long will you tolerate? Your justice doesn't make any sense because everything is evil. Is everything really evil? Everything is evil. Nothing makes sense. Or this, how long are you going to be hypocritical? You never act justly. Do you see the word never in there that Habakkuk used? He actually says it. Your justice never goes forth. Was God's justice ever going forth? Probably. I would actually argue on my side of the timetable, His justice always goes forth. But that's not what Habakkuk says. Now are you getting the different perspectives? This is not a message from God to the people. It's a message from the people who have a warped perception back to God, and it displays that warpedness. So, therefore, your character in light of chaos is impossible to reconcile, and that is what every single one of your unbelieving friends will say. It's impossible to, recognize, uh, to, to reconcile a good God with an evil people. And that's why you hear that question. Because it feels that way in the midst of a warped reality. So there's an intent. There's an intent behind using these big statements and these grandiose words and hyperbole. There's an intent while we do that. You do that. You throw the always and nevers at your spouse or your friends or whatever to produce some things. Number one, you don't know that you're trying to do it always, but you're trying to produce fear. You want them to be scared that you'll run away or that they don't understand or whatever. That's why we use these big words. They, they produce fear. It puts our opponent in the conversation in the midst of chaos. We use these words because it puts them in a defensive posture. Right off the bat, right? Another reason we do this is because it makes the recipient of these words feel responsible for the problem. You never... So now they're obligated to do something opposite them than never, So you're trying to force them into an obligation. And then you're trying to make them feel sorry for yourself, which is the whole guilt thing and the self-pity thing. That's why we do this. And that's why Habakkuk was doing it. God, if you won't change things, I'll just get mad at you. There's chaos going on. I don't understand it. So I'll use some big, loud words, God, and then maybe, wait for it, I'll get your attention. And isn't that the whole point when we start doing this? We just want somebody to understand us, to hear us. So we get big and loud and and grandiose. And what is the outcome of these statements? Our intent is to birth these things, but our outcome actually is this: we scramble to find value in and of ourselves, is what ultimately comes about. We're just more confused. (laughs) They're confused, we're confused. And so, what we do is we take a chaotic situation and bring more chaos into the situation by all of this going on. That's what Habakkuk is doing. So, my whole point, what I think the whole point of Habakkuk is trying to push us to, is something like this The world is full of wrong perceptions. If we function and see chaos from the wrong perceptions, we'll walk away more confused than we ever were before and we'll say things that we never intended to say and we'll, we'll walk away with these wrong perceptions in the midst of chaos, just creating more chaos. So what can we learn from Habakkuk in the midst of his? Five things real fast. Number one is this, and and I'll go ahead and say this up front. Um, Alistair Begg was super helpful in helping me wrap my brain around this right here. So, five perceptions we can learn from Habakkuk. If you don't know who Alistair Begg is, uh, he's a pastor. Um, Truth for Life is his studies through the Scripture. Um, I would highly encourage you to to study from this guy, Alistair Begg. Anyway, um, number one is this. Habakkuk forgot in the midst of chaos that our problem actually is an internal problem. Our problem in the midst of chaos is internal. He's screaming at the world around. There's chaos everywhere, everywhere. And he forgot that he ultimately is part of the problem. Our problem in chaos is internal. Why? Because men who choose to rebel against God and do evil things always produce corruption. Always. In our lives, when we choose to do something other than what God has called us to do or guided us to do, we will produce corruption. It's just a natural byproduct. So the real question in the midst of Habakkuk's chaos is not how could a good God let evil things happen? As you might have heard before, the real question is how could a holy God ever let anything good happen? Or maybe we could phrase it this way. Why does anything good ever happened to us evil people? It's just this warped perspective. So in the midst of chaos, it behooves us to just kind of pause for a minute and, and reflect internally. Okay, who am I? Am I holy? Am I always just? Am I always right? And examine the world around us in the midst of, of who we are. So this is the first thing that Habakkuk forgot. And then number two, Habakkuk forgot that our problem is not only internal, but it's it's actually continuous. Chaos is continuous. When you pray for peace... Now, I'll get some Haterade emails for this after this. So that's okay. I can, we can talk about it. When you pray for peace in the world, you're praying for something that cannot exist. Not until Christ comes back. You, you can pray for peace in the hearts of men and women... Absolutely. But when we pray, God, bring the world peace, we're praying for something that's impossible until Christ comes back. Again, we can have peace in the midst of that chaos, but it's that warped perspective. Chaos is natural. It's a part of it. It's continuous. Chaos has been around if the world is 10,000 years old, which I'm kind of a... I'm kind of a hybrid new earth guy, but I'm also open to the concept of an old earth, so I really don't know what I believe about the earth. We'll just leave it at that. Let's go with 10,000 years. Let's say the world has existed for 10,000 years. You know how long chaos has existed? 10,000 of those years. (laughs) It's not going anywhere. So in the midst of your chaos, remember, that's just part of the fallen world. You're experiencing something that's very real, very natural, very normal. We look around and we go, Oh my gosh, yeah, but now we've got abortion, and we've got early deaths, and we've got famine, and we've got loss of jobs, and we've got disease, and we've got wayward family members. We've got poverty. We've got extortion. We've got sex trafficking. trafficking, We've got division. We've got political corruption. We've got anxiety. We've got depression. You know how long those things have existed? Ten thousand years. It's a continuous part of the problem. So, in the midst of chaos, you can gaze at your issues and turn bitter and cold and competitive. Or you can turn from those and gaze at the Lord and see Him gently drawing you to Himself in the midst of chaos. Hold on to that. Sounds like, Troy, you just said chaos could be a good thing for us. might be. Wrestle with that for just a little bit. Number three. Habakkuk in the midst of chaos forgot that our problem is personal. Chaos is a personal issue. All evil is a result of sin which by show of hands fits in how many hearts in this room? We're all sinful. We all have evil thoughts. We all have evil desires. And so... When we begin questioning the evil around us, we got to look no further, first of all, than ourselves. What's the issue going on? How am I involved in this issue? Here's an honest question. When we look at evil around us, and and when we go, God, Habakkuk screams this, verses 1 through 4, get the evil away, get the evil away. You always let it tolerate it, smack the evil and do away with it. Anybody found themselves saying that? God, take away all evil. Just get rid of it. Honest question. If God took away all evil at midnight, how many of us would be left standing? Zero. If God really removed all evil, like we want Him to, at the clock at midnight, none of us would exist. So in the midst of chaos, it's a good reminder that I'm a part of this and all of creation groans, screaming, waiting for the redemption to come through Christ. Chaos is pointing us to something. God's not wasting it. The real question is why is God graciously not destroying us all and answering our prayer? In the chaos, right? Let's just be honest. Come on, guys. Let's be honest. In the midst of chaos, we're like, God, just take it away. And if he took it away, you're probably a part of it. And I am too. So are you praying for him to just wipe you out? There's got to be a deeper something going on. And we don't think about that. And Habakkuk reminds us, be reminded of this. Be reminded that our problems internal, it's continuous, it's personal and then Habakkuk forgot that our problem is cosmic. We live in a world that's fallen and in the midst of a fallen world, it's just always going to be different than he designed it to be. This is a part of the depravity of man. And so, we live in a perfect world that mankind has spoiled and we spoiled it and we continue to spoil it. It's just chaos, I guess what I'm saying is Something maybe that should be expected. Even for, wait for it, good Christians. (laughs) And that's the hard thing, isn't it? We're like, listen, Lord, I came to you because I want things to be rosy-dozy and lovey and dovey and I can't think of any more words. And one day they will be. One day they will be. But not now. That's the future hope that is to come, which pushes us to the cross. Number five. Habakkuk didn't know that all the issues he saw was ultimately pointing him to the hope of the cross. Now, he didn't know that. So let's, as we read Habakkuk and we're like, dude, you've got some issues going on. Let's give the brother a break. <laughs> Pump the brakes for a second. He didn't know that all the issues were ultimately pointing to the cross. What I'm trying to say is this. When we look at suffering and chaos around us, we can't look at our suffering rightly until we look at the cross intently. can't. There's nothing that we've experienced that Christ hasn't experienced. There's nothing that we haven't felt that the Lord Himself has not felt. And so, if anyone has a right to scream unfair, if anyone has a right to scream unjust, it's not us. It's who? It's Christ. He's the only one that on the cross can ultimately scream, this is unfair and this is unjust because He's perfectly righteous and perfectly holy. So we can gaze at our confusion in the midst of chaos or we can gaze at the collision of sin and righteousness on the cross. And only then will we begin to understand, oh, maybe He does have meaning. Maybe He does have purpose. A high price had to be paid for our evilness. And it was pain at the extent of Christ embracing and drinking in the fullness of the wrath of God. So, when we focus on the cross rather than chaos, why is that something special? Here's why it's special. If you gaze at the chaos around constantly, what you'll find yourself is a numb, hard-hearted, bitter soul. If you take your chaos and let it drive you to just gaze at the cross, what you'll find is you're now no longer a numb zombie, but a worshiper. And isn't that the point of all of life anyway? 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether than you eat... Or whether than you drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of the Lord. Let me rewrite it in light of the passage we just examined. Whether then you eat, or whether then you drink, or whether then you experience chaos, do all for the glory of God. How do you experience chaos and leverage that for the glory of God? The only thing you can do is look at what? Look at the cross. It's the only way you'll ever worship, and so I get it. As we wrap it up, man, I get it. Some of you are screaming, Troy. How dare you? I felt it. I felt your questions. You now remember, caveat. Step out here. I didn't write this book. All right, Habakkuk wrote this long time ago. All right, so when you're mad at me, be mad at it. Back here we go. Troy, are you saying that sometimes people could possibly be allowed to lose their marriage to be drawn closer to the Lord? Maybe. Troy, are you telling me that if this is true, sometimes people might be allowed to experience the fallenness of cancer and be drawn closer to the Lord? Probably. Troy, are you telling me that sometimes COVID strikes a 39-year-old and it doesn't make sense so that somebody else would be drawn closer to the Lord? Yeah. Troy, are you telling me that sometimes God allows nations to conquer nations and conquer nations who conquer nations so that somebody will be drawn closer to the Lord? ...back at 1, 1 through 4. Yeah. So as humbly as I can say this... ...and admitting that it doesn't fit in my pretty American paradigm. If God can't see something coming... ...and can't do anything about it... ...He's not God. But... ...if God can see something coming and chooses to not do anything about it and let us experience chaos, He's just being God. That's the point of the book of Habakkuk. In the midst of chaos, while we scream and get in a tissy fit, there's a, there's a new, uh, new meme out there where the little girl's who got a bell and she's like... And she's, it's, it's a great meme. I don't know where that came from. Free. I'll send it to you. Text me later and say, Troy, send me that meme. I'll be glad to send it to you. But that's what we do in the midst of chaos. Raise our fist, scream at God, God, you don't make any sense. And he's sitting there going, I'm the sovereign God of the universe. And I know chaos exists. But will you trust me in the midst of chaos? Or do you really want to be God? Now that's the question. So, what are some practical steps as we wrap it back up? Wrap it back up. We haven't wrapped it up yet. So let's wrap it up. Four steps. When we have false perceptions going on all around us. Number one, put your feelings in check with facts because facts don't have feelings. We operate from feelings. I feel this. Check your feelings at the door. I want five apples. Well, Troy... We have two Honeycrisp and two Fuji. But I want five apples. But Troy, math is a fact. I have two Fuji apples. We also have two Honeycrisp. So how many apples we have? Four apples. You can't change the fact. So focus on facts rather than just always being driven by our feelings. Number two pull yourself offline to a safe place to process rightly just get away get away you know where it is not the right place to process your feelings facebook <laughs> facebook there's a reason that facebook only has a like button and not a you're a moron button right cuz don't know they don't want you to click anybody going what you just said is you're a moron boom like they don't want that to happen they want you to be validated by people who think like you Pull yourself away. Pull yourself offline in the midst of chaos where you can process rightly. Get away. And I don't just mean offline as far as Facebook. I'm talking about really pull yourself out of society sometimes. Number three, posture yourself up around non-biased gray people. Again, we don't like gray. <laughs> if it's black and white, I want to talk to somebody that thinks black and white. When sometimes the healthy thing is to go to somebody that's non-biased and go, where am I missing all of this? And let them speak into you. And then number four. Place the cross at the forefront of your every thought, question, confusion. And finish it for me as the band comes back up. You know this. I think we might have even said it last week. As the old hymn says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of the world will grow strangely dim. It's just true. So... Hey, what does this look like for you today? What, is it, what kind of chaos is wrapped in your life that just personally doesn't make sense? And are you looking through the eyes of the cross or are you looking through your own eyes? What areas are you questioning God? What area is God not making any sense whatsoever And will you bow to Him and let Him be God and learn from it? Or will you bow your chest and try to be Lord over it? That's the question Habakkuk poses for us. Let's pray together. Well, Lord Jesus, we come to this text. um, I mean, who would have thought so much was in four verses? And so as we look at the life of Habakkuk, Lord, I I truly believe that you want us to learn from him, learn from the warped reality that he saw and tried to fill in the gaps. And I know, Lord, ahead of time that that's exactly where the text will take us, but God, would it be real today? Would it be real for someone who's struggling relationally? Someone who's struggling with a neighbor? Someone who's struggling with their own mind and thoughts and chaos just seems to be abounding and falling all over them, and they got so many questions. Either they just wake up, shake it out, <laughs> and focus on the cross. And understanding that at that collision, the chaotic collision of sin and righteousness, ultimately you have meaning even when we don't understand. Lord Jesus, as we worship, and as we come to the table, God, that even the table will have great meaning for us. Lord Jesus, we love you. Teach us how to love you even more.